our series called The One True God. And let me just uh, bring a picture up for you. Some of you recognize this lady. Uh, if you're over 40, I would have to say, uh, maybe even over 50 in my case. But um, this is Lucille Ball. And um, most of us would know her as, an, as a comedic American actress. Um, very sharp, quick-witted, uh, fun, kind face, um, really well-known. She was... Um, Really popular back in her day. She had a show called I Love Lucy, which was her kind of famous TV show. In fact, what you're seeing there on the, in the bottom corner there is a, is a clip from her in I Love Lucy. Now, um, there was a mass outcry about Lucille Ball in her hometown of Celeron in New York, a, sort of a little part within New York, because they decided to put a life-size life statue of her up Based on that scene you're seeing there, the one in the corner, they put this life-size statue of Lucille Ball up from the show, and this is the image that they came up with. Uh, that is the statue of Lucille Ball. Now, I don't know if you can look at that closely, but that does not look like her in hardly any way. They've even got the number of... Uh, her necklace was three rows of beads. There's two on that. But look at that face. In fact... She doesn't look like her in any fashion. Lucille Ball's teeth were perfect. If you look at the picture, again, let me go back a shot so you can see how... Look at her teeth. Now look at the, look at the statue. Um, this was a serious mistake. Um, this is not an image of Lucille Ball. Uh, and in fact, in truth, there was such an outcry, it was removed and replaced. But that's actually number two on the world's worst statue list or, or image creation list, as it were. Uh, this is number one. You probably will know this story. This, this handsome young man here is Cristiano Ronaldo, um, incredibly famous footballer. 2017, in his hometown of Madeira in Portugal, they decided to name the airport after him. can't remember what they actually called it, but it was named in his honor anyway. And as part of the unveiling ceremony, many of you will know this story, uh, a brass bust of this handsome young man was created and it looks like this <laughs> gareth is laughing because how is that look like cristiano ronaldo i have no idea maybe the hair might be about right the rest of it proportionally is incorrect in fact i think if i'm right if you look at cristiano ronaldo again that Lucille Ball statue looks more like Cristiano Ronaldo than the Cristiano Ronaldo one. That definitely looks like a man. Uh, that, that's probably... <laughs> but, but this was another mistake. Terrible imagery there. So a mistake, again, was made to try and recreate what Cristiano Ronaldo looks like. Today I want to talk about how we are crafted by God. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about um, not physical attributes. That's important, and we'll come to that several times and refer to. It's not about making statues, physical representations, um, in, in the sense of how we are crafted. We are crafted by God. The way that we have been made to reflect God's character and his nature. We humans are made by a perfect creator, a perfect creator. We may be flawed. We may be flawed, but we're not poorly made. We're not poorly made. And we have the ability to reflect God's image, his character. That reflection is in our hands. We can decide how we're going to represent God in our daily lives. So we're at the midpoint of our series. We're at the midpoint of um, our One True God series. We actually take this as sort of a transitional week, as it were. And we've been looking at the 10 attributes that were unique to God. Only he can demonstrate those attributes. They're completely unique to the Father. And if I have one prayer, just one prayer from this series, it's you come out of this 
um, with your mind blown at the immensity of God, that you are forced to worship and respond to him as you realize just how incredible he is from the infinite that we began with to the sovereignty that we ended with. Those 10 attributes of God should have blown our minds. Um, and the design of this first half of this series and the series as a whole, let's not uh, divorce them from each other too much as we hit this middle point, is to highlight um, what Jen Wilkins said in, in her, um, her book when she said, this should lead us towards the inevitable conclusion that the most right and logical place for God to inhabit is a throne. So that's, God needs to inhabit a throne at the end of all this. Now, what I'm hoping today is to transition into the 10 characteristics of God, the ones that we are called to reflect so that um, I'm going to divide it into four sort of topics. So I'm going to talk about, um, we'll look again at elevation. Well, I don't want to jump away from that, that we, we need to still elevate God up to his rightful place. Then we're going to look at the transformation that should result of, as that elevation take place. Validation that comes and then we'll end with radicalization. Uh, four point preach, if you like, today. Lots of shuns in there. I appreciate radicalization um, has a negative connotation. I want to redeem that today, what it means to be radical in God's eyes. So we're going to start with, with elevation. And um, so, as I said, the desire of this series was to return God up to the throne that only he can occupy and should occupy. Um, the infinite, incomprehensible, self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God ultimately ends up sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, above all heaven and earth sat rightfully on the throne. Each attribute of God was supposed to and is supposed to blow our minds and realization that our sun is but a pinprick compared to that, that sun I showed you at the beginning, that um, the Euskati or whatever it's called. I can't remember now, that massive colossal place that that, that sun moon or whatever you want sorry sorry star was just so immense and there was our little our little sun and the realization that rolled off god's fingertips that that incredibly massive star then and and this is the incredible god in which we honor and we worship and we elevate up there is no limits to him. He is unlimited. No time or space can contain him. No knowledge is beyond him. His power is limitless. His resources are endless. This is our God. This is the one that we have to drop to our knees and worship when we realize just how incredibly immense he is. English language stumbles over itself. All language stumbles over itself to try and describe how amazing and majestic and powerful and awesome and endless and unlimited he is. And the response should be that we fall down in, with greater worship, greater humility and greater reverence for the God who created all things, who is above all things. And then the realization, as I've come to multiple times, that he reaches into our humanity and comes to know us should just blow our minds. Gaining an understanding of God is, is an endless pursuit, but not a hopeless pursuit. A. W., uh, Arthur W. Pink, sorry, in his book says this, the bottomless journey of searching for God is not a reason why we should desist from reverent inquiry and prayerful strivings to apprehend, to understand what he has so graciously revealed to himself in this word. And pink is falling over, fawning over humbly the Bible, this that we have in our, in our homes. This is well-worn, good, right? in our homes and our hands and our, our phones and whatever. We have access. This humbly given, gracious revelation of God is available to us. And, and Arthur W. Pink there is just falling over himself about how rich it is. 
Charles Spurgeon, so well known as a, a strong preacher, put it this way, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation into the great subject of the deity of God. Nothing, he wants to reiterate, the best thing for our growth is the constant pursuit, pursuit sorry, of getting to know God because it, you'll never finish it, so therefore, therefore it's an endless well of goodness to find. Because the more we realise how good he is, the more we can worship him. The more we realise how mighty and holy he is, the more we respect, and again, struggling for words here, fall over ourselves at the realisation of his grace and his mercy. The more we know him, the more we should revere him. The more cautious we should become about how we use this life that we are given as a gift and how we steward the planet that we are given dominion over. He allows us to inhabit and we'll talk about this later, inhabit this earth and have dominion over it and all that's on it, and we need to treat it well. God created it. If a father created something beautiful and gave it to you, or, or a mother created something beautiful and gave it to you, and you're like, treated it with disdain. The earth is beautiful. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So elevation, the elevation of God will continue for the next five sermons. I'm not saying we've just done the elevation in the first 10 attributes, the five sermons, and now when we do the characteristics, we're not going to be elevating God. We are going to continue in the weeks to come. They should continue to be jaw-dropping just how much God can demonstrate these things. So we're going to look at the characteristics of God, but when it comes to these characteristics, when you look at them, I, I was looking at it, there's many sort of, I don't know what the right description of the word is, but there's many uns that will come after it when I think about it. His love, so there they are on the screen, his love which is unfailing, his patience which is unmatched, his holiness which is undeniable, his faithfulness which is unchallenged, his goodness unbound, his mercy is unending, his justice is unquestionable, his graciousness is unbelievable, his wisdom unchallenged, his truthfulness undeniable. Jaw-dropping will continue as we see how much God demonstrates all of this and it's breathtaking. And while it's not fully attainable for us in its fullness, these are not unique characteristics for God. He has imprinted them on us as well. So is God elevated? There's a question for you. Is he elevated for you in this series? If he hasn't, okay, sorry about that. Do some more reading of your Bible. He will become elevated. If he is, then the gospel becomes so sweet, so sweet, because this elevated God without any limits, this immensity that he has, he is not far off. He is near. He has come to know us. He has come to save us from sin so that we can have relationship one-to-one -one with him, personal reunited, personally reunited with God. We can have relationship with him. He cares for us so much that he would send his one and only son to come and save us, save us from the consequences of our sin, yet also to show us the way. It's important we know this church. I think as a young Christian, I often miss this critical point. Salvation is not the sole purpose of or conclusion of Christ and his work on the cross. As we behold the glory of the Lord, he shows us the way. He leads us and guides us in an ongoing transformation. It doesn't finish on the moment we accept Jesus died on the cross. In reality, it begins 
Yes, we are saved. Yes, we understand that. We are set free from our sin. And the journey of transformation begins. 2 Corinthians um, 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me read that out again. I don't think I've got it on present. Let me just check. Oh, no, I have. There you go. Let me read it out again, because I think this is critical to just wrap this piece up. And we all, with unveiled face, we can see, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So let's look at that transformation into the same Spirit. Once we accept Jesus Christ, a deep transformation begins in us. We are re-imaged, recreated, born again, made new. And in order that we can understand and walk in God's will for us. So as we're transforming our minds, we start to understand what God's will is for us. Romans 8.2, one of my favorite and one of the most famous scriptures around. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in that scripture, one I like and one I, I really enjoy reading, there is an itch that starts to scratch or, or maybe an, even an irritation in some regards. Not enough on that. But my point is, when we hear that scripture and the reference to knowing God's will our, for our lives, our ears prick up. Oh, I can now know, if I figure this out, I can know what God's will is for my life. And maybe some frustration may even surface in that. Because we're either desperate to know what God's will for our life is, or we're frustrated that we thought we knew what it was, and it hasn't come to pass. And so reading scriptures like that, we get a sort of sense of wonder and magnet, but we're all sort of, yeah, lost it. But we're also thinking, well, why, is that, why isn't that true? Why don't, I, why don't I know what God's will for my life is? Why am I not sure of that? Let me challenge that in the way that many of us, including me, can think. It's common in Christians. And what I say might be a little sort of challenging to hear, but, but let me say it. If I said to you, I know what God's will for your life is, and I'm going to drop round tonight and I'm going to tell you, would you get excited? Not because it's me, <laughs> not because I'm dropping round, um, but I'm coming round because I, I've, I've got, I can tell you what God's will for your life is. You'd be keen because you think, oh, I will, if he's right, I will finally know for sure what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'll make better decisions because I'll know what God wants me to do with my life. I'll be clear about what I think and what he wants me to do. What he wants me to do. What he wants me to do. Yet God's will is not about what we do. God's will is about who we are. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with trying to do things. In fact, Ephesians will talk about the works that God has for us. There is value in doing faith that works is dead. We hear that. But that's not what God's will is about. First and foremost, we're human beings, not human doings. God's will is that you would know him more. God's will is that through knowing him, you reflect him more in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. 
whether you're staying in the same position you've been in for years at work or you're moving to a new career, moving from Watford to some new place, thinking, well, that's my moving towards God's will. No, God's will is you reflect him wherever you are, whenever you are. Like a child who adores their parent, starts to pick up mannerisms. When we learn to truly admire and adore the father, study his ways, pick up more and more of this character of his, we are called to and we will naturally emulate it. In Ephesians, they use the words imitators of God, emulating his character and his nature. In Micah 6, 8, it says this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or steadfast love. There's another way of saying that. And walk humbly with your God. That's what you're supposed to do. They're not actions. They are attitudes, behaviors, ways of thinking. So let me talk about validation. What we're talking about in these 10 characteristics of God, they're all possible for us humans. They're not out of reach. Being made in his image is not about our physical form. Being human means we are able to reveal, as I've said, and reflect aspects of God's character just like Jesus did I want to challenge something that even I as a preacher may have done or overcooked and for that I apologize if I have it's the oversimplified notion that God is good and we are bad oversimplifying that point that God is perfect and we humans are just an embarrassment and a mess sinful greedy and and should be ashamed of ourselves while I have to say there is truth that sin is offensive to God, of course it is. It caused the death of his son. Humanity is not an embarrassment. Humanity is not an embarrassment to God. We are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. We make mistakes, but for sure we are not mistakes. We are not poorly made like the Lucille Ball and the Cristiano Ronaldo statues we are made by God and he is perfect in all of his ways we even sung it today made in God's image God loves us he treasures us he values us he sees worth in all of us he created this earth and it's amazing when you look at it don't think of the urban sprawls think of the hills the mountains the seas the beauty of this earth were it to be untouched by us would be amazing and he gives it the fish, the, 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 everything in the sea, the, from a fish to a lion, from a cat to a whale, the, the, the expanse of his creation. If you love Blue Planet, you should watch Blue Planet and go at the end of it. And he gave me dominion over that. That's how much he values and treasures us. Genesis 1.28 reads a bit differently when you think about it that way. Look at it afresh. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This should lead us to caring more about our planet, but I don't have time and I could go into a whole preach about that. Maybe one day I will. We also know God loves, validates, and values us because he gave his one and only son to die for us. Sure, that's amazing. But remember, he sent him to be among us, 
among us, incarnate human with the humans. God becoming flesh, human, was not disgusting to God. The sin in which Jesus had to be exposed to would have been, but, but to create him in human form was not like God going, Ugh, look what I find. He created humanity. Jesus coming in human form was not disgusting. It's not like a disgusting thing he was forced to inhabit. Christ was fully man and fully God in his character. Fully man in his flesh, fully God in his character. The famous scripture, uh, John 14, that says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It does not mean that, oh, that's who he looks like. He's like Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen. You can tell that they're related. It's not that at all. Jesus looks like a child of God in his character and his behavior. He was God's son in his character and his behavior. And as a human, he demonstrated to us what you can do as a human to demonstrate God's character. What struck me as I was pre prepping for all of this, and, and I'm a guy who joyfully in, I'm sorry, enjoys my prep because often there's revelation when I prep and, and things I'm thinking, I kind of half knew that, but suddenly it's striking me all afresh, was that Jesus would, took on our limitations. He became limited like us. Jesus is not from the Marvel Universe. He's not got these incredible superpowers where he can just trans transport himself from one place to another without walking. Yes, he could do miracles, but Jesus worked within the finitude of humanity. He was constrained by the flesh, physically, mentally, emotionally. He wept. Things caused him upset. He experienced our humanity in its fullness. And yet look at what he did. Look at what he did. And he is the exact imprint of God's nature. And then he says these words, greater things than me you will do. And this is where I want to hit radicalization. And like I say, it's a negative term perhaps these days. I'm just redeeming it for the day. Perhaps for good, it would be good if we could. Jesus was a radical. Jesus was a radical. His love for people those pushed out by society, the poor, the marginalized, from the prostitute to the loan shark. They were welcomed if they were willing to look to him for the way. You see his engagements with these sorts of people. They're listening to him as he teaches them and tells them of a better way. We seem to be, or that certainly the Pharisees were distracted by who they were, not what God was doing, what Christ was doing, sorry, how he was teaching, how he was showing them the way. He was holy and pure in his ways. There was no dirt on him. He was faithful and patient, truthful and wise, good and just, merciful and gracious, the very imprint of God amongst people. And yet he said, greater things than I will you do. He was selfless and sacrificial, even with his own life. And yet greater things than he, he said we would do. Imagine how radically different society could be were Christians and the church as a whole to try and reflect the very nature of God. Were we to press in more on radical love, radical justice, radical patience? Jesus said we can do greater things than he. Do you think that all that meant is signs and wonders? I think in a charismatic church we can fall into that. 
Ah, the sign of your charismatic level is this number of healing signs and wonders. I am I'm someone who loves to see healing, as one I heard of this week. It's so excited when I hear about that. But do we think about, no, radical love, those things, radical patience, those things are signs of a charismatic church. They will accompany us. It says signs and wonders will accompany you, and we want that. But we're given the Holy Spirit to bear fruit. That fruit is linked to what we are as people, not the actions we take. They're about what we are, not what we do. Love, kindness, patience, faithfulness. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Do they sound familiar? Because they are the characteristics of God that are demonstrated in us. They're on display every day, wherever we are. They have the potential at least to be on display every day, wherever we are. We'll come back to the power of the Spirit in a minute. I don't want to leave it there. But let's agree what happens when these characteristics are present. They can change everything. From a work situation, a family situation, to a national global issue. A relationship breakdown. The state of a town. The state of a nation can all be affected when we exercise God's radical nature. Jesus taught, taught us about this. He takes time during the Sermon of the Mount to sort of expand on, I know you've heard this and, and it's nice and short because you've heard this from, for example, the Ten Commandments, but, but actually you need to understand how radical I, I, I mean by this, what, what the Father means in the radical nature of these things. So let me read a few parts of Sermon on the Mount to you. I know it's a lot to take in today, but that's the way I kind of roll. <laughs> uh, Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You've heard it said. Sorry, you've heard that it was said to those of old. Ten Commandments, yeah, you recognize this. You shall not murder. Cool, I don't murder anyone. So am I radical? No. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Ooh. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's radical. That's the sort of thing that we're here talking about here. Now, can we jump straight to that? And It's a challenge. Of course it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. Because this is God's character we're trying to emulate. And I look enough on Facebook to see how people just lose their temper with one another call each other fools stupid for their opinions it takes a lot to think differently of others in 5 7 to 28 i think i've probably got too many scriptures there but from that section of scripture um again from matthew 5 you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery okay i don't do that good well done but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So tear out your eye or don't look. Radical. The end of the porn industry. If we could move that way as a, as a nation and as a planet, but certainly we can do our part. Make sure we don't play any part in that. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, turn the other cheek. Whoa, really? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really? This is radical love we're being called to. Radical patient. patience changes cultures. We're not supposed to be just a better version of the culture we live in. A little kinder, a little nicer, a little cleaner. 
we're part of a radical new family, God's family. And if we were to do, and I were to do 1% of what God calls us to, I think we could change everything around us from a family situation to the very society that we live in. So let's get a bit real as I start to kind of wrap things up, bring us to a close. I bet many of you are thinking like I would if I was listening where you are. Nice words, Andy, but I just can't do it. That change is not really within my capabilities. I can try a little, but to talk about like the things that Jesus, I just can't do it. And you are right. You can't. And there are two things I want to challenge about this. The first is simple. The second takes a little bit more humility, as it were. The first one, work within the church. You know there's some great stuff that you can do alone. I don't want to discourage any of you from doing that. But if you have desire right now to provide food for a neighbor, as was prayed for and as I've seen on Facebook, you go ahead and do it. Amen, hallelujah to you. But what about a street? What about a borough? What about a town? Could you be part of something broader than that? You stretch yourself. You're in a church. If you know of a particular school, street, or some business or whatever, or community of people that are particularly struggling, use the church. There's 120, 30 of us when we all turn up. Use the church. It is a body for good. Second one, submit to the Spirit. Set up, come back to this. I want to be clear. Demonstrating a level of radical love that me and you are capable of is only possible, that level of radical love, etc., as it were, with the help of the Spirit. In fact, it's even arrogant and it's foolish to think we can do it on our own. In the power that we have, when God's saying, I have my power on offer to you, humbly submit to the Holy Spirit that is offered to us. Pray with passion that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, so greater things than me you will do. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, Andy, you're a top guy. I reckon you could do better than me at this. He's saying, my Father will give you his Holy Spirit. You greater things than me will you do. Without submission, without giving up control, we can be nice people, good people, but there is so much more that we could demonstrate, demonstrating God's love if we submit to the Spirit. Isaiah 61, again, up there in the top 10 probably quoted scriptures of all time. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening to, of the prison to those who are bound. You can do a mega sermon on that particular scripture, but look where it starts. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me too. At home, at work, at school, on a global scale, what can we do when the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us? I want to leave us with John 14, uh, 11 to 17. Have a listen at this and what Jesus says about doing what he did as evidence that the Father is in him by the Spirit. And then what we can do as a response to the same Spirit being in us, as a result of the same Spirit being in us. This is critical stuff. The same spirit who is in Jesus is in us. Greater things than me will you do. Casting out demons to love in counterculturally and radically. 
So let me read it to you. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to be with the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. It's the Holy Spirit to help you and be with you forever. Hence greater things we will do. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Hallelujah. I hope I've teed up the second part of this whole series well enough for you to be excited about what's to come. You're looking forward to the challenges and the joy of what is to come. Everything you will hear in the next five weeks, we are capable of growing in. And with the help of the Spirit, we're not just talking about marginal change but leaps and bounds. I would get excited about that. I am, hope you are. I'll pray for us all in a moment, but I felt it critical as for some of the things I've said as I was prepping to, to, to bring up some particular prayer points out of all of this. And we're going to have um, some prayer rooms ready for you. Uh, there'll be three prayer rooms and the first two will be male and female. I think some of the things just felt right. Some of the things that may get shared in those prayer rooms, we're going to have one for ladies, one for uh, men. And then there'll be a third prayer room, which will be for anyone who wants to go into those. So as I uh, sort of describe this, I want you to sort of just be open to a prompting of the Spirit and see if this resonates with you. And if it does, type prayer in the chat window. So if you type prayer in the chat window, um, if you don't know how to use the chat window, I hope you don't mind me saying Gareth. If they've got Gareth's number, just WhatsApp him. Um, or Lorraine, um, you can WhatsApp her as well. Um, if you can't use the chat function, but the chat, fu chat function is easier, but I know some of you struggle with it. Feel free to WhatsApp them and they can make sure you get in a prayer room as well. I hope that's clear. So if you feel undervalued, you've either discounted yourself or feel that you cannot grow in these sort of things that I've been describing, regardless of the reason, regardless of the reason, whether you've been told from an early age that you're worthless or you've just felt that way all your life, I confess to you, as a young man, in my kind of early teens, I felt pretty useless. I was moderate at lots of things and good at nothing. I convinced myself I would just never make anything of my life. It wasn't because anyone had been cruel to me, just the, the devil had deceived me, tricked me into thinking I was pretty average Joe. And I, I don't want to build myself up but I, in any way, but I think I just want to do great things for God so that he might be glorified. Therefore, if that's what my life is about, hallelujah and praise him. But if you felt from any reason in your life that you're worthless, that you're undervalued, or you just convince yourself you're of no great consequence, type prayer into that chat window. I would do if I was in that situation before. I would type that and say, look, that's me. Just someone just pray for me. I feel I've undervalued myself or others have convinced me I'm of no, a little or no worth. I want to break that off. A deep realization to come that God values you. You may make mistakes, we may make mistakes, but we are not a mistake. I'll wait for a moment to give you time to type that, just prayer in the prayer in the chat window, and we'll get you with some people who can pray with you. If you have another, uh, just a, any other prayer need, so any at all, whether it be personal, financial, health, 
relational and you just want prayer, just type me in the chat window so we can differentiate between the two. Type me and then we'll know you actually want to go into the third prayer room. And that third prayer room is just for general prayer for anything at all. So not specifically related to the, the topic I covered earlier. I hope that's clear enough. I hope you, you know, you don't, you're not confused. You're, you're happy to go for prayer if that made sense. The rest of you, after I pray in a second, can stay here in the chat window and have a conversation, uh, sorry, in the um, main room and have a bit of a connect if you want to. I know they've become trickier of late because not everyone sticks around and thankfully lots of people go for prayer. But uh, if there's enough of you here and you want to have a bit of a chat, please use the main room for that. Let me just pray for us and then Gareth will send people out into those prayer rooms. Heavenly Father, perhaps I should have prayed this at the beginning, but I, I pray that you've used this word today for your purposes. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you have molded and crafted the words that, um, that I put on a page and that there's clarity, that it has spoken to the church. I pray that we as a people fall down regularly uh, in this season and for, for the rest of our lives, I hope, in, in reverent awe and worship of who you are. Cautious about how we choose to spend our lives, Father, in the right way desiring to do more that would reflect your character in our culture because we know it's true we know it it could make radical difference in a in our home situations in those focus situations to a on a national scale we we know it's true we believe it's true because you are the powerful omnipotent omniscient totally um, infinite god who said i i will offer my resources to you so we know all these things are possible father god i just pray that we come in humility today and say by your spirits would you empower us to go further more loving, more patient, more kind. We will reflect your character in situations that would cause things to change, Father. I pray that we would be submissive to the Spirit. We would be people who say, look, I am not controlling you. I want you to be the one that, in, that comes into me. That I will even surprise myself. I will say to myself, wow, greater things have I done because of you, because of your power, because of the Holy Spirit. And may it always give glory to God. We're not looking for fame for us. We're looking for fame for you, fame for your, your son, Jesus Christ. Fill us, I pray, afresh today, this morning, Father God, with your Holy Spirit, that we might see such significant things happen in our lives. Signs and wonders, hallelujah, yes. But demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit, hallelujah, and yes. I pray for all of us in Jesus' name.